in a sermon about God's greatness and the fact that we don't have to be in control, there's something of an irony of having to re-record because the media equipment didn't work quite right on Sunday morning. So here we are, um, let's pray as we begin together um, looking at this first sermon in this new series. Father, we come to you expectantly because we know that you love to speak to your children and so we pray that you would open our ears to hear what it is you have to say to us today. And speak to us as individuals, we pray, but speak to us as the church as well. And speak to us at the start of this new year. In your son's name we pray for his glory. Amen. So Psalm 145 begins like this. I will extol you, my God the King. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise you and extol your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendour of your majesty and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works. I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And you see, for the Christian who knows the God of the Bible, his greatness is an essential part of who he is. Verse 3, his greatness, in fact, no one can fathom. Verse 6, we're to be a people who proclaim of his great deeds. And yet, often whilst we can say that with our lips or sing about it on a Sunday... Well, what happens if life doesn't turn out as we planned? What if we fail the exam, or we lose the job, or the relationship turns sour? What if Christmas wasn't the rest we had asked for, or thought we needed? To put it slightly bluntly, what if life is rubbish, and frustrating, and hard? What if he doesn't follow our script, and do things as we planned? What if his deeds don't seem quite that great after all? How practically do we react then? Do we still trust that he's great and that he's got it sorted? Is is Psalm 145 still true? Does his greatness mean anything to us then? What do we do in that situation? Of course the reality can be that when things don't go as we wanted, or as we hoped, or as we planned, or as we assumed that they might, then sometimes are we, are we may be tempted to take things into our own hands, tempted to control things and shape things and manipulate things in an ungodly way. Here are four imaginary but familiar Christian friends to help us work this through. Firstly, the family are all grown up now, but take Martha. She is the youngest sister in a family, and when she doesn't quite get her way as she wants, through discussions or decisions or family politics, Martha knows the buttons to press. Martha knows how to manipulate things. She manipulates people and situations and circumstances so that she ends up getting her way. She's always been good at control. And she believes God is great on paper, but her ideas and plans are essentially, when it comes down to it, better. And so Martha 
manipulates. Secondly, Dominic. Dominic leads a team of people, and to be honest, he leads them with an iron rod, so that really, discussions are kept to a minimum. He jokes that it's his way, or the highway, but it's not really a joke, and everyone knows that. And so he's built a team of of yes-men around him. Dominic dominates, he rules, he overshadows, he cajoles, he squashes people. Dominic believes that God is great on paper, and he sings it on a Sunday, but when it comes down to it, he and only he has a direct line to what God wants. And so Dominic dominates. Olivia, thirdly, Olivia is a high-functioning project manager. She almost literally has to-do lists coming out of her ears. She is very capable And yet she feels like it all rests on her. She she really struggles to say no to anyone now. Just look at her life and you you feel tired. Sometimes, Sometimes she thinks she should include others in her projects, in anything. Does she really need to cover every single eventuality, making sure each and every base is covered? But she does, which means basically she overworks, she does it alone. She's working the whole time. An 80-hour week is a short week for Olivia. And on Sunday she heads to church and she sings about God being great. And she really means it, but by Monday she's back in the rat race, up to her eyes in paperwork and to-do lists, always on, always feeling the pressure, always overworking, covering every single possible eventuality. Overbusy. Fourthly, William is a worrier. He so wishes he wasn't, but he is. And so again, and again, and again, and again, he finds himself fixating on things, and he, and he hates the fact that he does it, but his mind just returns there. It's, it's debilitating. And if you ask him, he knows that worrying doesn't help. He knows that he worries about things that he can't control. He, he knows that worrying about tomorrow robs him of his life today. He knows that worrying essentially means he ends up suffering twice. He knows all that. And he knows God is great. But what about all the uncertainties in life? What about 2017? What about all his doubts and worries and fears? What about if that thing happens, whether that thing is big scale, political or small scale personal and he he lies in bed to the early hours worrying and he wakes up the next morning worrying Martha the manipulator Dominic the dominator Olivia the overworker and William the worrier they're four very different people but each of them has something in common It's the fact that on paper they say God is great. But in practice it's that they are great. In their worlds they are too big. And God is too small. And so do you see, God is great but what if he's not going to get it right this time? What if actually he's not got it covered? What if he's not that great? And so Martha seeks to manipulate to get her own way, and Dominic uses his power to get his own way, and Olivia overworks and so practically can't let go of stuff, and William worries and worries and worries and so mentally can't let go of stuff. And it's us, isn't it? 
I'm pretty sure you'll see them in you because I see them in me. And I assume, when it comes down to it, we're quite similar. But we do need to be slightly careful here. As we kick this thing off, we're not advocating a passivity where we don't try with anything, where we don't care about things, where we just let go and let God. We'll think more about this in weeks to come. But God has made the world in such a way that he uses people like us. Adam and Eve weren't just handed what they needed on a plate, but God made the world ready and fertile, requiring our input and our action to make it flourish. And so the question is, when do our actions, when does our input cross the line? Because actually it reveals a lack of trust in him, an over-trust in self trying to do the job of God. And so do you see, in a sense, in a sense, Martha doesn't really trust God is great, and so she manipulates, and Dominic doesn't really trust God is great, and so he dominates, and Olivia doesn't really trust God is great, and so she overworks, and William doesn't really trust God is great, and so he worries. And so what we're going to do for these next four weeks as a church is to take a simple truth about God each week, which happily all begin with G, and help each other to begin to apply that truth. To begin to apply that truth in the everyday, the small scale stuff, the nitty gritty of life. If you look on the PowerPoint, here are the four truths we're going to be thinking about over the next four weeks. The first one today, God is great. The second one next week, God is glorious. And the third one the week after, God is good. And then finally, God is gracious, which are pretty simple. They're not particularly controversial or contentious ideas. But what happens when we begin to work through some of the implications of those ideas for daily life? When we begin to work through some of what it actually means? So here we go. God is great. And so we don't have to be in control. God is glorious. So we don't have to fear others. God is good. So we don't have to look elsewhere. God is gracious. So we don't have to prove ourselves. Now a number of you might know that these four phrases are not original to me. They're they're brief ideas from a book by a guy called Tim Chester. His book, You Can Change. What I've tried to do is take... What are really only a few pages that personally I found very helpful and expand and build upon them. This topical series for the month of January, working primarily in a passage each time to try and help us think through what this big idea means in the nitty gritty of life. So what we're doing in one sense is this, we're we're taking our pound coin and we're popping it into the drinks machine and you know how often it doesn't quite drop down? You put the money in and it doesn't fall and so we're hitting it again and again and again and again until it falls. For the next four weeks the pound coin is this truth about God that we know. He is great and glorious and good and gracious but we're hitting it to make it drop. Dropping from a truth that is an idea or a theory to being a truth that we actually believe and trust and can lean upon. Something hypothetical to become something we actually live out. Helping us to begin to deal with the 
manipulating Martha or the dominating Dominic or the overworking Olivia or the worrying William in each of us. And so come with me please to Mark's Gospel, the passage that was read for us in chapter 4 and verse 35 to 41. The context is Jesus has just finished a section of teaching and of parables. And we pick it up at Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. That day when evening came, he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? So he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and they asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, in this section of Mark, familiar verses, but there are a few things going on here that intersect on this passage. Mark is painting a picture for us of of Jesus' greatness. He is one who has arrived with authority, and yet the authority he has is quite outstanding. Just glance down over the page into chapter 5 too, and what do you see? All, All symptoms of a broken world. All symptoms of our alienation from God. So the little account that we're going to focus on, you see this chaotic creation out of kilter with the creator. And you move to chapter 5 and there's the reality of evil and and demon possession. Followed by sickness and brokenness. Followed by death and mourning. And as Jesus deals with each of them, Mark is painting for us a clearer and clearer picture of the identity of Jesus. He is God great our God is great Jesus is the one who has come to deal with the broken world the symptoms of our alienation from God but as the gospel unfolds he's come to deal with the reason for our alienation too and what's striking in this account for today I think is the way the people react to the power of Jesus they are they're frankly terrified Rather than fearing their fears, they they end up fearing him. So let's have a look. In one sense, sitting in church on a Sunday, New Year's Day, this is simple stuff. In another sense, in the mess of life on Monday, this can be very hard to trust. God is great. We don't have to be in control. And the one point, if you like, to get into your hearts this morning, aside from that, aside from his greatness, is this. Jesus is bigger than the storm. Pick it up from verse 35 with me. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat. Now, a summer or so ago, as a family, we, um, the Steels, headed to central France. We ended up on kayaks on a medium-sized boating lake. It was all fairly fun, um, pretty tiring, a bit wet, steep learning curve, trying to 
paddle in combination with others on your kayak, others of different size, different strength, but fairly fun. And we had life jackets on and it felt pretty safe. It was an enclosed, sanitised, secure lake. It would be the odd bump or the odd jostle with other boats. Kids who thought it would be funny to come and charge into your boat. But really, pretty safe. And if I'm honest, easily in my mind, that is kind of what I imagine going on here. We, we miss the scale of the thing. Lake Galilee was much more than a little lake. It was the Sea of Galilee, as it was sometimes called. It, 15 miles long, 8 miles wide. 700 feet below sea level in a massive basin next to large mountains relatively shallow water which which makes the perfect storm and you see what happens is the cold air above up high from the mountains hits the warm air below by the water and so huge squalls stir up dangerous storms this is not a boating lake with kayaks and life jackets. These, these men are not wusses. They're fishermen, but, but not kind of fly fishermen who stand on the edge of the water trying to avoid family life with their thermos flasks and their sandwiches. No, no, these were deep-sea fishermen, burly-bearded, strong, brave, tough. But even for them, this is unusual. This is too much. They're well out of comfort zones. They are terrified. They are fearing for their lives. Verse 37, a, furious squall comes up, the waves break over the boat, it's nearly swamped, and there's Jesus sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Jesus, Jesus, hello, so much for your teaching on the kingdom of God, so much for mustard seed and soils, wake up. Jesus, can't you see we're going to drown? Don't you care? In light of the storm, they had lost hope. Yet I wonder if the way they approached him showed a big part of their problem. They, they called him teacher. But maybe in their minds that's all he was still. He's just simply a religious teacher. And so like many today in our society, Jesus, if he existed, said some interesting stuff. Admirable stuff even. Ethical teacher. Interesting and timeless parables. Thoughtful insights on God. Spent time with the kind of people that society looked down upon. We admire him. But when the rubber hits the road, he's just a religious teacher, they say. He's not that great. He can't really help with the, the reality of life, the stuff we have to go through, the, the storms. When it gets really messy, well, maybe we just need to get on and help ourselves. And to be honest, I'm not quite sure what they were expecting as they woke him up. Maybe, maybe to try and keep the boat afloat with them, maybe to help, maybe to paddle, maybe to pour water out, anything rather than sleeping, because what happens next is striking. He, do you see, he, he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet and be still, and then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? He was terrified, they asked each other, who, who is this, even the wind? And the waves obey him. You might think they'd at least be a bit thankful. A bit relieved. But they're not. They're, they're terrified. You see the sea was terrifying. Jesus is more terrifying. They 
they begin to glimpse perhaps that teacher is the wrong title for him. They're, they're in the wrong category there. Jesus is bigger than the storm. He's bigger than the kinds of things that no man can control. Jesus is truly great. Maybe in their minds, maybe at this point they've got their Old Testament concordance and they're flicking through Bible texts, passages that speak to us of control of the elements, control of the chaotic sea. And The thing about those texts, those passages, is that that kind of control is, is God territory. Just, just an example from Psalm 107. For he, God, spoke and stood up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths, and in their peril their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds. Who who has his hand over the natural world? Well, the Bible says the Lord does. Who is great? The Lord is. And you see, because of Jesus, they now have a future. Five minutes before, everything looked pretty bleak. It looked like it was going to finish. It looked like game over. It looked hopeless. But now, now life goes on. And so they look into his eyes, terrified. A friend of mine puts it very helpfully like this. The reason Jesus is terrifying is the reason they have a hope. You see, because he's awesome, because he's wonderful, because he's mighty, because he's bigger than they can cope with, they get this glimpse of his power. Which means God is great. So we don't have to be in control. And of course, of course, one of the big lies of our culture our culture that's walked out on God, is that we can be in control. One person put it this way, if you want to be anxious today, then pretend that you're in control. And of course, technology and medicine and all kinds of things mean that we we can shape our environment in many good ways. They are good things. They are the outworking of the fruitfulness of mankind in one sense. We can control our environment. But at times we just get glimpses of the fact that we can't. Times like this, in the middle of a furious squall, or, or, or when the test results come back from the hospital, or when tragedy strikes, or we lose our jobs, or, or life unravels. I guess one of the reasons that people have struggled to cope with the, the number of celebrity deaths of, of 2016. It's hit people hard because we just get the glimpse that we can't control these things. We can't control the storm. And yet, of course, we don't need to. 
You see, because God is great, we, we don't need to fear the storm. We don't need to fear the things that we can't control because we have one who can. Maybe as you look back to the year that was, back to 2016, and you think about how you reacted to all that happened, perhaps analyse some of your behaviour, your feelings, your concerns, your anxieties, or maybe you look ahead to the uncertainties of 2017. Maybe that's a truth we need to reflect upon and cling to. God is great. So we don't have to be in control, not just as a sort of bumper sticker or a life motto, but but actually worked out in real life, in the reality of what goes on. It means that we don't need to be martyrs who manipulate others or, or situations because God is great and we can trust him even when it doesn't go our way. We, we really can. We don't need to be Dominics who, who dominate and are overbearing because God is great and we can trust him to have ideas bigger than us or ours even. We, we really can. We don't need to be Olivia's who overwork and can't let go because God is great and so we can trust him and we don't have to check and recheck for every single eventuality. We, we really can. We don't need to be Williams who, who worry and can't sleep because God is great and we can trust him to take control of the future or the future of our loved ones. We really can. He's got it covered. Let's not believe the lies of our culture that says that we can be in control. We can't. But he is. Which means which means this concept, this idea of God's sovereignty that you find in the Bible is not simply a head scratching all night, late night theological debate thing, but it's actually a truth that's profoundly encouraging. And you know, there's a very real and right sense, I think, that rather than fearing situations and scenarios and storms, we're actually to fear him rather than them. Because he's greater. Because he's awesome. As you look ahead, I don't know what those things are for you. Often it's the future. What what does 27... 2017 or or beyond hold for you maybe it's a certain circumstance in life at the moment maybe it's something at work maybe it's a friendship or a relationship that's worrying us maybe it's your children your grandchildren even maybe it's stuff that you've shared with other people or maybe it's stuff that you just keep locked away tight inside but it's always there and you know you know, sometimes Jesus comes to us and says, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Jesus is bigger than our fears. He is bigger than the storm. God is great. So we don't have to be in control. Now, of course, this is a community project. This is where we need each other. In, in home groups this week and beyond for the rest of the month, there'll be lots of space and time to, to begin to wrestle and pray and consider these things together. Many of these fears, these behaviours, these feelings are, are deeply rooted and we're profoundly shaped by them. Maybe we do manipulate like Martha or, 
or dominate like Dominic, or overwork like Olivia, or worry like William. And those things will be seen in the way we relate to others, maybe in how we parent our kids, maybe in how we relate to our spouse, to our family, to our friends, to our colleagues, to ourselves even. And so it's unlikely that our lives are going to be transformed through one sermon on one Sunday at the start of 2017. But over time, over time I pray that as we together as church family begin to get better at seeing where we say that God is great, but then how we seek to be in control, so we can help each other to grow in Christ-likeness together. So we need each other, but we need him too. God, of course, helps us in this. He, he gives us his Holy Spirit to transform us, to change us, to help us to put to death the old self and to put on the new self, to renew us, to reshape us into the likeness of his Son, the Lord Jesus. So that we begin to see how great he is. And so we begin to let go of needing to be in control. My friends, I'm sure you don't, but lest we think this is easy, it's striking what happens as the Gospel account rolls on. Because what we see fundamentally in Christ is the fact that ours is the God who gives up all his control. Ours is the one who entrusts himself entirely to his Father in heaven. And he says to him, Not my will but your will. And he dies on a cross. And as he does that, he shows us the control that his father has. And he shows us in the cross and the resurrection that God is great. And he shows us that we can trust him. Because you see, what we need in the midst of the storm, what we need is a bigger story. It's a story that shows us that we are not ultimate. It's a story that is to reshape and overshadow our little stories. It's a story that reminds us of his greatness. And it means that we can trust him for 2017 and for beyond. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess to you the the way in which we can believe things about you and yet then deny them with our lifestyle. We confess to you the, the tendency we have towards manipulation so we get our own way, the tendency that we have towards dominating others and shutting them down, the tendency we have towards overwork and the tendency towards worrying. Father, we long that this truth of your greatness would trickle down so that we know we don't need to be in control. We pray that we might see this year and beyond, regardless of what happens, regardless of what comes, that Jesus is bigger than the storm. We pray that we might know your faithfulness And so trust that. Be prepared to say, yet not my will, but your will. 
Help us to know, please, afresh that you are great. And so that we don't have to be in control. And help us to do this together as a church, as family together. Help us to encourage each other and challenge each other and grow together in this. And would you be at work in us as individuals and as a church family, transforming us more into the likeness of Christ by the work of your Holy Spirit in us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory, and for our good. Amen.